Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and also your host. Welcome back to The Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I would just like to thank everyone who has been reaching out, especially after this last episode with Rebbe Khani Levine like to thank someone specifically. She gave me permission to read some of her message out loud. Quote, I feel that the extremes often have the loudest voices and I definitely respect what different people bring to the table, but I personally most appreciate the voices that are unapologetically Torah true, yet still not extreme by most measures. End quote. Thanks to everyone who's been reaching out. I'd like to also mention that a lot of the research I do and the work I put into my podcast, I share some bits and pieces and inside information on my stories on Instagram and Facebook. So I would really love it if you followed me there. This way I can interact with you more and get to know you. Here's your show today. So welcome to the show, Karen Fishoff. It's so nice to have you. So nice to be here. Thank you for having me. You are an artist, Balchuva mom. Those were the three words you picked. <laughs> it's so nice to have you here. You're calling in from LA today, and I already see the art all around you. <laughs> I, I just love to hear about your Jewish background and your artist background, and feel free to connect them. Okay, so I grew up in the suburbs of New York in New Rochelle. Uh, I grew up conservative, and from a young age, uh, my parents saw artistic talent and fostered that, took me to private art lessons, uh, painting, sculpture. Uh, I went on to Syracuse University, where I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in painting and a minor in photography. And during that time, I did a semester abroad in London, where I really fell in love with the photo process more than the painting. Even though my major was painting, I ended up kind of doing more photography than painting, but not traditional photography with a camera. I mean, I did a lot of that, but I found this process called photograms where there's no camera involved and you're in a dark room and you place objects on top of the paper and create scenes and expose it and develop it traditionally. So that became like my signature. I found like my look, like you could see my work and know, oh, Karen made that, you know, it stood out, it's different. And, um, but then I had to, once I kind of refined the technique, find my voice of what I wanted to say with that technique. And then in between, um, refining my technique, then I had to find my voice about what I wanted to say within that technique. So, um, but then of course I also had to earn a living. So I went back to, when I went to college, there was no such thing as desktop publishing and nobody had a, a you know computer in their house. And then it like exploded and every job was, um, you know, graphic design on the computer. So I went back to school. I got a second degree in computer graphics, which included web design, animation, video editing, everything. How soon was that after you finished Syracuse? Three years later, something like that. 
I had been doing, I've always worked in the creative field. I did window displays for Macy's, Lord & Taylor. I had my own company where I did um, window displays for record stores in Manhattan and dress barn stores in actually in Philadelphia. And in New York, I was driving back and forth. Um, so I always had that knack for creating something that could attract your eye and was visually pleasing and stimulating. So clearly you have the art talent, which many artists on the show do have. What many sometimes artists do not have is attracting paying customers for what they're doing. And clearly you have some big clients there signing up for your talents. So could you tell us a little more about how that happened? So when I first got out of school, I kept in touch with um, some other students that I uh, that were in the art program. And one of the girls lived in Westchester where I lived and she had a show at a gallery. And I was like, oh my gosh, How'd you get this? And she's like, I'll introduce you to the people. And so just through networking, I had my first solo show, like right out of college and sold a few pieces. And that was very encouraging. Um, but that actually was the, the painting work, not the photo work, but whatever. I was still doing my thing, my creative thing. Um, and then in between, and I was working like crazy hours creating these wood pieces where I was carving wood with a saw and then painting it. And they were very elaborate and I really was dedicated to making it. And, um, but then fast forward, I was like 37 years old <laughs> and doing all these creative jobs. Um, but woke up one day and was like, I'm not married. And um, I got a phone call from one of my core girlfriends because I stayed in touch with the same girls from nursery school through college. We were even roommates and all this. And they all had gotten married and started families. And I got a call from one of them. Oh, I'm pregnant with my second kid. So I was a little slow to the, like, cause I was in my art world that um, it wasn't when I was a bridesmaid at all their weddings or you know the first kid, somehow it hit me with the second kid. And so I turned around and I was having conversation with my sister-in-law, my brother's wife. And I was like, you know, my friend just called and she knows all my friends. And, this, and she, I said, what's with me? Why am I not married, you know, and everything. And she said, well, what are you looking for? And I really hadn't even defined it and so I started saying, well, I definitely want somebody Jewish because some of my friends had married non-Jews, whatever. And, um, you know, I want somebody who's going to go with me to art shows. I want somebody funny. I had the whole laundry list. So she said to me, well, why don't you go to Jewish singles? And I was like, who's going to be at a Jewish singles? It's going to be people who can't meet the cool way, like at a bar or a club in the Hamptons where I was hanging out and I hadn't met anyone of quality, you know? So she said, well, no, it's cool people. It's young professionals. I was like, well, none of my friends are going to go with me. So she said, well, go with my friend. So I thought, you know what, what do I have to lose? If it's not good, I'll leave. And you know, let me just, whatever I've been doing isn't working. So let me try something different. And I show up to this thing and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but it was Hineni with Repetin Young Rice. Okay. But it was sold to me as a Jewish singles. 
So I show up. And first of all, it was when it was the heyday. It was like 1,500 people coming to hear her speak. And I had gone through conservative Hebrew school after public school. And, you know, for like 10 years, I had a bat mitzvah at 13 years old where I like, you know, did my haftorah from the bima facing the congregation. I mean, so, you know, conservative. But I thought that was the only Judaism I had been exposed to. And all of my friends that I went to camp with, went to school with, went to college with, we were all the same type of conservative Jews. So I thought that's what being Jewish was. Now I show up at this event and she, Rebetzin Young Rice says, open up your Hamish. We're in Parshas whatever and turn to page. And I never heard the word Hamish and I never heard the word Parsha. And I had gone to 10 years of Hebrew school and I am lost. So I'm looking at everyone around me and I see the book they pick up. So I open up the book and I'm looking and I'm like, what is this book? What's a Hamish? You know? So she's, she reads the a Hebrew and then she's giving her uh, English spin on what it means. And I'm like, I never heard this. It was like a total eye opener. And I realized like she had her sons and uh, daughters with her and, so, and they were like black hat, you know, and I, it hit me that this is true Torah Judaism. And I was sold like a watered down version. And I hear, and then it, I realized here I am telling my sister-in-law that I want to marry somebody Jewish because I want to hand down my Judaism. And I'm realizing, I don't even know what it means to be Jewish that I was sold like a watered down version. This is true Torah Judaism. I got to learn this. So um, I got all inspired, but I still didn't, wasn't sure. I wrote down on a sticky note from, I took out my pocketbook and I wrote down the cover of the book, the name Stone Chumash. And I go into the local Judaica store in White Plains. And I'm like, do you have this book called the Stone Chumash? She's like, oh yeah, they're all on the wall over there. But I still was too embarrassed to ask, like, is this the Torah? So I had uh, received a book that said the Torah in English from the sisterhood of my synagogue when I had my bat mitzvah. And I took the stone chumash and that book and went, opened the first couple of pages. And I realized it's the same, but the one I had had no Hebrew, no partiot, no, no titles, no numbers. No, it was just a novel. And I was like, I, this is what I spent 10 years learning this and thinking that I'm like so Jewish. So I had Jewish pride and I had Jewish identity, which was the main thing that sending me to Hebrew school taught me. So now I had this other kind of junction where I'm so thirsty to learn what I missed. So now I'm reading the book before I show up in her class and to get ahead so I know what she's gonna talk about. And I meet other people at the, after she spoke, everyone filed into the gym next door for a mingle. And um, so I started making friends and they invited me, well, if you really like this, you should show up to the Jewish, and um, uh, called the, the, not the Jewish, Jewish Enrichment Center maybe. And so anyway, so I, then I went to that. And so I went from 1500 people 
to like a hundred people in a loft with beer and pizza, but still it was like these blackout rabbis. And I was like, wow, that's so funny. They're on the same chapter she's on. What a coincidence. So, cause I still had never gone to shul. I never had a Shabbos meal. I had no way to connect any of it. So then I, um, me or these people, they say to me, well, if you like this, then you should come, uh, you know, try out the Asha Torah. I show up to Asha Torah and it's 10 people around a conference room table with guys on one side, girls on the other, big black hat bearded rabbi with a long coat. And I knew there were rules, but I didn't know what they were. So I'm like, am I supposed to look at him? I know I can't shake his hand. I was so nervous. But after the class, he came up to me and invited me to a Shabbos meal. And so that was really the turning point. And one of the girls I met in his class said, you can come and stay by me because I lived in Westchester. He was in Manhattan. And I had my first Shabbos and she taught me how to light candles. She showed me that she didn't carry. She hid her key, whatever. And we went, I went to this Shabbos meal at this uh, rabbi's house. And at the end of the meal, he came up to me and he said, you see this chair that you're sitting in? This is going to be your chair at our table every Friday night. You don't have to call me and confirm you're coming, you're not coming. We're going to have the seat ready for you. And I guarantee you, if you come to my table every Friday night for a year, you'll be married at the end of the year. So this was my new mission was to get married. Whatever I'd been doing was not working. And here this guy was giving me this opportunity and I was grabbed it. So I thought, you know, let me give it a shot. And I didn't do a formal seminary. I just learned at his table every Friday. I went to his class every Wednesday. Um, and at the end of the year, and now I'm working in graphic design. At a, at a, so I'm combining now the art with the Baltuva story. So during I had done window display. Then I was got a job in graphic design um, at a company in Westchester. And as I started learning, I realized I was the only Jew at my company. I didn't even realize it. And I realized the atmosphere was originally what attracted me to it was, oh, I could just wear shorts and flip-flops and I don't have to get dressed and get on the train and go to the city. And, and now I was like, oh, everybody's not sneers and everybody's massaging everybody at, behind, at their computer. And the whole atmosphere was like, it was like a veil had been lifted off my eyes and I was seeing things that I never saw before. So I um, had started asking my boss if I could leave early on Friday since I was getting invited to all these Shabbos meals. And he was actually really, he had been a minister before he became an art director and he was like great about it. Um, but then Hashem gave me a push. So then we had 9-11 and we lost our biggest clients and I got laid off. So now the rabbi that I had been learning with started giving me freelance work for all these people that he knew, like toy companies in Israel, designing a website for them, uh, Cantor designing a website for him. And um, I sent out my resume to everyone on my list saying, you know, artist for hire. And when I had first gone to the Jewish Enrichment Center and I met the guys there, 
they said, oh, we want to redo our website. And um, I met with a bunch of rabbis that actually showed up in a like sleeveless mini dress, not realizing and with all these bearded rabbis and showed them my art, my design. And um, so they didn't end up doing the program they wanted to do, which was live streaming, Shiram, whatever, but they were on my email list. So I sent out artists for hire. And this one rabbi wrote, wrote me back and he said, I'm no longer at the Jewish Enrichment Center. I'm now in Muncie at this company called Torah Lab. And I loved your artwork. And I, you know, but I want to meet with you first and kind of edit your portfolio, like take out what's not sneeze before I present it to the main rabbi. So I met with him. And like at that point, I knew I should be covered, but I think I wore like a pantsuit. So, um, but the rabbi was amazing and he actually really then helped spur me on more into, in my Balchuva experience and he hired me and now I was in this, like from environment in Muncie and I go out to lunch and I realized I can't even go into this restaurant. I don't have skirts. I have to go. So I went out and started buying skirts. I started realizing I had all these open shoes, like everything kind of like was just like realizing through experience and just immersing myself in the environment. One of the girls in my office, I saw her come out of the bathroom and she's Davin. I'm like, so I asked her, what are you doing? And she explained to me. And, um, and then she had a little seducca box on her desk. I'm like, oh, I guess I should put a little seducca box on my desk like that. And just all these little like malachim like in my life that led me through this journey. So anyway, um, now I'm, I'm single, I'm working in Muncie and, um, it's about a year that this rabbi said, you know, within a year you'll be married and it's coming up. I actually had moved to Manhattan now. I'm not commuting from Westchester anymore. Cause now I'm spending, I'm every Shabbos at this rabbi and I move in with two from girls in the city and it's coming Pesach and they're each going to go home to their respective families. And I'm going to hunker down in my apartment. And the rabbi in Muncie gives me a disc. He had all of this shirim, and I was designing. I went from designing packaging from Disney, Nickelodeon, MTV and Game Boy to now designing packaging for shirim, like sets of, um, Shiram on how to dive in, on how to keep kosher and all this. And um, I'm doing workbooks and all of this stuff. So he gives me a, a disc on how to kosher your home for Pesach. And he says, if you have any questions, call me. So now I my whole apartment looks like a spaceship. It's tinfoil everywhere. And I'm, I'm ready to hunker down for um, Passover and go to the, the this rabbi in the city. And I get a call from my mom. It's a few days before Pesach. And she's telling me, oh, this is what time this Seder is going to start at Aunt Sandy's house. So I said, you know, I'm not coming this year, mom, you know. And she was like, what do you mean you're not coming? I said, well, the food's not going to be kosher and I can't drive there. So I'll, I'll see you again another week, whatever. And she, it was very hard for her. And she was screaming basically that you think that's what it means to be religious, that God doesn't want you to be with your family on the holidays. So I said, I'm sorry if you don't understand, but this is what I'm going to do. And I hung up and it was like Hashem heard 
me say that now I'm committed. And the phone rings again and I pick it up and it's one of my Balchuva friends and says to me, what are you doing for Pesach Shabbos lunch? So I said, no, I was so focused on the, the satyrs, I didn't even think about Shabbos lunch. So I said, nothing. So she said, my friend David is having people over. Why don't you come? And that friend David ended up being my husband. So it all worked out. It was, it was like just a year that I had been from and everything. And now I meet my husband. And within three months, we were engaged. And six, six months, we were married. And we're living in Manhattan. And, you know, he really opened up my world to, you know, because he was a from from birth guy, even though he had he was more modern. I was going like really in the zone. And then he told my parents, oh, don't worry, you know, I'll level her out. So anyhow, um, he was a he's nine years older than me. He had been married. He had kids. So he had traveled extensively through Israel and he took me to Israel. And that was another major eye opener that everything I had been learning, all this Torah, it's real. You could like see the places, you know, to see the tombs. The, it, it was like, you know, this is where the base of Migdash stood. It was like so unbelievable. So I kind of put a pause on my artwork because my husband was keeping me so busy with his kids and traveling and his business. And the interesting thing is when I was secular and I was doing my artwork, I was a real music groupie and I was, you know, following bands around and, you know, um, Duran Duran was my favorite band. I was a real eighties girl hair metal, all of that. Now I become from, but I meet a guy who's in the secular rock and roll business. He's from, but he's, in, so it was like, we were coming at everything from two different sides. And he said to me, you know, I met a lot of girls that could rock and roll, but they couldn't do Shabbos. I met a lot of girls who could do Shabbos, but they couldn't rock and roll. So he's like, you're the perfect, you know, and it's really been a great fit and a great ride. So now he says to me, I need you to help me with my business and my website and my marketing and, and doing my, you know, PowerPoints and my business cards and my brochures. And so my personal art got put on hold, but I was still always creating. And, um, and we had this partnership and we still have it today. We've been married 15 years. I'm still working for him for the rock and roll fantasy camp and, um, BH it's going great. And, uh, we have two kids and a uh, boy, a girl. It was like Hashem just blessed me. And I feel like he blessed me because I became from like all these wonderful things. It was almost like in New York, you know, when you hit the garage door button and you're exiting your house, it's all the way back here and you have to run out before the door closes. I feel like the door was closing and I just slid under. I got, got through and I got the husband and I got the kids, you know, because I was already, you know, 38 when I got married, but thank God, two healthy kids. They're, you know, socially successful and, and educated. It's 1115. 
So my kids are just they're thriving in yeshiva. My son's got like pay us down to here. It just, they're, they're adorable. They're smart. They're popular. So thank God. So now that they got older, my husband said to me, why don't you get back into doing your artwork? So I said, you know, well, my artwork is not the kind of artwork I can just put up a little easel in the garage and, you know, I need like a studio. And he was like, what do you mean a studio? What? So I did a lot of research. I drove all over Los Angeles. I found the art district. I found these warehouses that they've converted to art, like lofts with 30 artists working in a building. And so I rented a space and like hung my little shingle. I'm like, okay, I'm back. I'm an artist, <laughs> a fine artist, not just a graphic designer. And um, so I'm like, okay, I have the space. I have the time. What do I want to create? What do I want to say? I'm trying to find that voice. And I heard a great quote that is, art is telling your story. So I'm like, okay, what's my story? And I got to really kind of dig and what do I, you know, what, what's worth telling and sharing. So I realized my Balchuva story is what's really important to me and what other people kind of relate to when I tell it. So, um, I started, um, doing some work about modesty and trying to bridge because I feel like I'm a before and after. So I get it you know, from the, how I didn't, I had no awareness before, but how can you bring that awareness to people without sounding like you're preaching and, you know, or you're trying to clobber them over the head with a message and, you know, um, so that's my kind of challenge now. And I feel like I'm, I'm always going to be on this journey of refining the message that you got to start just like throwing darts and eventually you'll hit the target. But even when you hit the target, the target will keep moving, you know, and you gotta just keep at it. So I'm really, I, I put a lot of energy into and this work and I got into this juried exhibition. So that was, once I created the work, I'm like, okay, now I need people to see it. So I started entering these jury competitions and I got into this fairly prestigious show in Los Angeles but it was juried by a prominent art critic named Edward Goldman, who has a radio show on Huffington Post and, um, and, and NPR. And um, he took, a, he got my work, he got it. And he put me in this show. And then from there, I contacted like every gallery in Los Angeles that accepts submissions. And I connected with this uh, woman who focuses on photographic work. And I just had a solo show at her gallery. I had 12 pieces and an amazing reception. And Edward Goldman came and he brought his collector's group and piece, pieces started selling. And I was like, okay, I must be, I'm getting close to the target. Something's happening here, you know, I'm getting some traction. And that spurs me on to keep making more work. Um, and then I just had a piece. I also became like a beast on LinkedIn and social media and contacting everyone. So, you know, I have to spend half the time making the art and half the time promoting it. And I got in touch with a lady who was curating um, 
the Pulse Art Fair in Miami, which is a satellite fair of the um, Art Basel, Miami, the whole Art Week. So I just came back from there. I had a piece, um, an installation. So now I'm trying to take this photography and pieces that just hang on the wall. And I had a piece on the floor that people could interact with and walk on. And um, that was a whole nother level. And so that's where I'm at now. And, and also what I see every day, like my visual images are totally different from what I used to see when I was single. What was I? I was going to bars. That was what my eyes saw. Now my eyes see my kids davening. They see my son playing basketball. He's a sports nut. So I'm starting to just create work on like my daughter baking challah. I did a piece on, um, and um, my son is, he Dobbins in the teen minion. And um, so I did a whole piece on like these boys now becoming part of the minion, becoming bar mitzvah. So it's really like what I'm surrounded with in my world, plus what kind of messages. So uh, I have another show coming up in September at UCLA Hillel. And I'm going to title it Ancient Wisdom because I feel there's so much ancient wisdom that we haven't been exposed to, like modesty. And I feel like that is without even me or I don't know how people in the secular world are becoming aware of it. I just read an article with Kim Kardashian saying that she's going to start dressing more modest now because she realizes that she's meeting with world leaders and then she's got a naked picture of herself on Instagram and it just doesn't jive that that so the it's it's in the air these this ancient wisdom it's starting to come back to people and um through some kind of spiritual osmosis and I also feel that Hashem put us here in this time he didn't put us here a hundred years ago or a hundred years from now. And the times that we're in is what's really on the footsteps of Mashiach. And there's, there's a purpose, there's a reason. So I'm trying to hone in on that and, but do it in a very accepting way. I love your story. And I, there's so many things that you're so positive about many of the topics that very often Bali Chuba and from from birth women struggle with more than you. You sound like you embraced a lot of it, which is beautiful to hear. I love hearing it, especially from artists. Is there anything you miss about your old life or your old uh, career maybe that transitioned, even though it sounds like you've had a lot of success and the second you put your mind to something, whether it's your husband's business brochures and his packaging to your artwork and creating all these beautiful art pieces that are selling and that are getting the exposure. Is there anything you still miss from your old life? So the only thing, there's nothing um, work-wise, um, but I mean, my oldest friends that know me like as a kid, you know, so I miss them, but I still, I, they're all in New York and I'm in LA. But when I go back to New York, we always, we all get together, we go out and I still keep in touch with them, but there's nothing like old friends. That's the only kind of, and you know, they've all, they all know like that I'm from now. And even if they get it, don't get it. They know it's still 
it's still me. They, we can still talk about anything and, um, you know, but we have like a limited, t I don't see them on Shabbos. You know, I see them on a, a, a weeknight and, um, but we still always have that connection and we text and we, you know, uh, we know we're always there for each other. So that, that was the kind of maybe the hardest thing. My, my family's all come around and they're all, you know, and they love my husband. So that makes it so much easier. Um, and then with the work, What's interesting is we, my, I went with my husband on a vacation to Italy and we hired a tour guide to take us to show us all the art in Florence. And the first building we went into, everything, it was all, you know, Christian religious art. So my husband said, well, we're not really that interested in this. Is there anything else you can show us? And she said, every single building is like this inside. You're not, and that's when I realized that art history has been, it's, you know, all Christian art, but Jewish art somehow has always been labeled Judaica. It's never really been in the mainstream art, you know, as far as visual arts. So I'm kind of trying to break that stigma or that boundary that I can, you know, make art that's widely accepted as mainstream art and not like it's, oh, it's for art for Jews or for, you know, a Jewish. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. It's so true. Everything that's Jewish and art related is Judaica somehow. It's very true. Yeah. It should be art, just like Christian art. <laughs> right. That's so interesting. Okay, so could you just, for anyone out there who has, for example, I went to your Instagram and your website and I've tried to appreciate and understand what you do. I know your message, but could you tell me what the art is and what it means, how it works? <laughs> I don't even know the questions I'm supposed to ask. <laughs> it's life-size photographs. So the work is really large. They look like x-rays kind of, but you're, it's more silhouettes. You're not seeing bones. Um, they look like almost ghosts or shadows. What I like about it is it, even though it's photography, it's like a painting in that I'm creating the image. So I'm making pictures, not taking pictures. Um, and I use a lot of mixed media, a lot of, um, props. And so they're all staged, um, and they're all done in the dark on the floor. So even though the pieces hang on the wall, except for that one installation piece, they're made on the floor with, I basically um, take people and pose them in positions on the photo paper. I lay the photo paper out on the floor and um, then set up words. So I have a lot of text-based art objects and um, then I expose it to light very quickly then I collect the paper and develop it with traditional black and white photography and trays and then rearrange it all back together on these archival boards. And they're, they're huge. They're like 64 inches by 80 inches. They're, they're very powerful. What about those colorful pieces that people use as interior decor? So it's so funny. I have one body of work that's all black and white and another body of work that's all bright colors. And those are modular hexagons that you can uh, scale horizontally, vertically to fit any space. 
and that's at modwallart.com and also at modwallart on uh, social media. That's your brand? That's my brand. So those are gorgeous, one-inch thick acrylic um, pieces that hang flush on the wall. So they look like they're floating. You can't tell how they're being hung. And um, they're either, they're solid colors, there's abstract designs, there's photographs of, you know, nature and water and stones and really, really gorgeous stuff. That is more of a commercial type of art that I feel is, it's beautiful in lobbies, um, reception desk areas or large living rooms or up a big stairwell, that type of thing. Your statement pieces. Right. And how did you come up with the idea to do that? We bought a new house and I had a white wall over my couch for four years. And my husband kept saying, you're an artist. Hang up some of your work. And none of my work felt like it fit there. (laughs) So I said, I got to create something new for it. And I, you know, I'm always looking at, magazines and you know so whether it's fine art magazines or interior design magazines and something after four years it hit me this whole modular art thing also because my other pieces are so large that I have to rent a truck every time to transport them I wanted something that I could piece together and I realized a lot of people in LA and Hollywood have big walls and this whole, it's just impractical, uh, you know, a lot of giant art and you could cover a large space with these modular pieces, um, you know, like, like I was saying, horizontally, vertically, however you want um, and kind of create your own, you know, so if your couch is blue, you could use all different blue hues and tie it in and, you know, um, and I could personalize it to match. I could take pictures of other um, surfaces in your home so I could match your tile or your fabric and your curtains or whatever and put that into the art into the piece and do you have do you have other people that you hired to be part of that business when people hire you? no and so me again I'm doing the website I'm doing the shipping I'm I'm the one one woman show <laughs> um, and is it hard to get clients I mean is that something that's paying that is something that's growing, but I'm, I'm still, you know, like everything, I really have to work at it. And, and I feel like with the social media, people want to see like a post a day, you know, so you've got to constantly be creating Content, something. Yes. <laughs> Fascinating. Also unusual to artists, you have some sort of business mind or some intuition First of all, you minored in photography, which gave you a payable skill right away, which a lot of artists don't do. Then three years later, you went back for a more practical skill that people clearly pay for at a time when it was the hottest thing, the the beginning of the hottest thing. Today, it's a given. You start a business, you hire yourself a graphic team who takes care of that. It's a payable skill. And, And it's a question I like to ask a lot of artists what part of your business and your career do you love and do you hate meaning it sounds like a lot of the business part of it getting clients or doing the digital aspect to it you mentioned your uh, beast on social media those are things that artists say they hate doing so I'm just curious is there anything 
that you do not like about the professional aspect of what you have to do? One of the things I realized that I don't like is um, standing next to the art and trying to sell it. That's where I'm like, I need a gallerist. Okay, because I don't want to be the one standing there. I don't mind explaining it a little bit, but uh, when I've done these art fairs, you basically have to just stand next to your work for four days. And like a model, like a sales model. <laughs> I don't want to be like a salesperson. That's the thing. I don't mind uh, talking about the work, or and I love making it, and I don't mind marketing it, but I don't want to be the sales. So that's that's the part I don't really like. And also, by the way, so this gallery in Los Angeles is representing me on the West Coast, but I'm looking to get representation on the East Coast. And um, so that's why I just did that fair in Miami and uh, networked, met a lot of people. I have a lot of following up to do. Um, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> so what's next for you and how are you helping create opportunities for other firm women who can look at you as somebody who's made it or who's making it. Is that something at all on your radar? And if not, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot there, but I can't help it. <laughs> I think down the road, that'll be, you know, more of a goal. Um, but I'm still trying to anchor myself um, in my career. I um, my, my goals for now is well, what happened is because I got this show at UCLA Hillel, I really wanted to be very uh, much about my Balchuva story. So I'm really focusing on what, on that Jewish voice and, and what does my neshama want to say? What do I want to share? And what could be meaningful to other people? So if I can inspire other um, women or young artists, um, you know, and also kind of break that barrier of, what is Jewish art, um, that, that would be my near future goals. Um, but one of the things that really did help me that I didn't mention is I was an apprentice to an artist um, in my college years. Every summer, a woman named Marilyn Dinton Fast, who's fabulous, and she's a Jewish female artist, and working with her was so inspiring. So if I, I could get to that point where I can start taking on apprentices, the doors will be open. So Dobbin for me. So any words to an aspiring artist or anyone listening to you? Any things you wish you would have known a while back? Or just imagine like you're speaking to your younger self. Yes. Sharing the wisdom of today. Well, one of the things I... Um, you know, I follow the art scene and I read a lot of articles and I see who's showing. And one of the things I've discovered is that how are these younger artists getting shown in bigger galleries? That, that was my big question. And what I learned is that you have to go to a school, an art school that's it's in 1130. A, you have to go to an art school that's in a major city center like New York, Los Angeles, and their, their thesis shows, their graduating solo exhibitions, galleries come to scout. I did not know that. Nobody told me that. I went to Syracuse University. Nobody from New York City is coming up to Syracuse to scout new artists. As much as I love the school and I learned a lot. So that would be my advice is if you really want to kind of get known, 
you got to be in a place where people are looking, you know, be in a, in a, a major uh, city. Um, the other thing is, uh, is this whole concept that I've talked about, about you know, finding your voice, what's your message, and um, really spending a lot of time thinking about that, maybe writing down your thoughts, you know, to um, get more specific. It like helps you um, define it when you write it down, you know, what um, your ideas and goals and thoughts are. So that would be my advice. That's beautiful. Tell us where can people find you? Okay, so if you'd like to see my artwork, my website is finkelland.com. That's F-I-N-K-E-L-A-N-D.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Finkelland. Amazing. So I hope you enjoy looking at my work and get inspired. So I think we're going to wrap up. It was so lovely having you on the show. Yes, I would love to meet you in person sometime. I would love that too. Thanks so much for listening to the Francisco Show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com. Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends. Subscribe to the show so you get notifications every time a new episode is out. And also, once you're on iTunes, please leave us a good review. And as always, I love hearing from you. So please reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Francisca Music or email me at franciscak at gmail.com. I'm also reachable through my website, franciscamusic.com. See you next week.